Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. As Brian said, my name is Evan Fowler. He took care of my introduction, which is nice because I've kind of come to dread introductions in this place. So I always have to include that part that no, I'm not Steve Fowler's son. But it really could be worse because my last name could be Candelo. Um, but, <laughs> but it's not, so that's good. Well, hey, welcome to Family Gathers Month. And Family Gathers Month here at Salem Alliance means that a lot of our volunteers get a month off. So the parking lot is a free-for-all, and we've got kids in the room. Kids, are you out there? Because if you're out there, I need you up here. I need you on stage with me. We're going to watch a movie. So come on up. (laughs) Jeremiah, I need you up here, I guess. (laughs) So kids, come on up. We've got fruit snacks for you up here. Adults, your fruit snacks are coming, so just be patient. All right, great. Keep coming, keep coming, and then find a seat. When you get your fruit snacks, go ahead and find a seat in the middle here. We're going to watch a movie together, and then I've got some questions to ask you as well. Oh, those are yours now. Okay, keep coming. Now, who has read the book, Prince Caspian? Nobody, that's okay. I'm more of a Tolkien fan myself, that's fine. But who has seen the movie, Prince Caspian? Any of us? Okay, a few of us, a few of us. Because today we're talking about the next book in the Narnia series, Prince Caspian. And I won't give you a complete plot summary, but let me just catch you up to speed so you know what's happening in the clip that we're about to watch. So the kids in the story, they've been gone from Narnia for one year, but one year on earth means a thousand years in Narnia. So when they went back to Narnia, it was like they had traveled a thousand years into the future. And so I got to know, what do you guys think a thousand years in the future is going to be like? It's going to be very different. What do you think a thousand years in the future is going to be like? Does anybody have any ideas? What do you think a thousand years is going to be like? Floating cars. Floating cars. That'd be awesome. Anyone else? What do you think a thousand years in the future is going to be like? Will West Salem have another bridge? What do you think? (laughs) No? Okay. But during that thousand years, some pirates came into Narnia and they took over and they ruined everything. And then they were after the prince, Prince Caspian. And so what he had to do is blow on this magic horn to call for help. We have a picture of the magic horn here, or it might be a water bottle. But he blew on the magic horn and the kids were teleported back into Narnia. So I gotta know, if you guys had a magic horn, you could call anyone in the world, who would you call? Huh, Ghostbusters? Aslan. You call Aslan, good idea. I mean, that's what they should have done instead of calling the kids. Who would you call? My friend Bryson. Bryson, is he listening? Is he here? Okay. Who would you guys call? God. God, oh, good answer. Iron Man. Iron Man. (laughs) And he'd come get those pirates out of there, right? And so the problem was that when he called the kids and they were teleported to Narnia, they were teleported to the wrong place, and they didn't know how to get to Prince Caspian. And so Aslan began appearing to them to help guide them to Prince Caspian. 
But the problem was only Lucy, the youngest, could see Aslan. The other kids couldn't see him, so they doubted if he was really there, if he was appearing to them. And that's what we're going to see in this clip that we're going to watch. So let's watch this movie together. Wait, what? Aslan? It's Aslan! Oh. It's Aslan over there! Don't you see? He's right! Do you see him now? I'm not crazy. He was there. He wanted us to follow him. Sure there are any number of lions in this wood? Just like that bear. I think I know Aslan when I see him. Look, I'm not about to jump off a cliff after someone who doesn't exist. The last time I didn't believe Lucy, I ended up looking pretty stupid. Why wouldn't I have seen him? Maybe you weren't looking. I'm sorry, Lou. So Aslan appeared to Lucy, but none of the other kids believed her. Now, how many of us would have believed Lucy if she told us that Aslan appeared to her? Do you believe her? Right? And church, this is the beautiful thing about kids. It's that they have this ability to believe. They have this faith even when they can't see. And so what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 2, he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn from your sins and become like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And church, this is what childlike faith looks like. And I hope we understand Jesus' words to learn from childlike faith and not to look down on it. Okay, kids, so before you go, can I pray a blessing over you before we go? And church, if you feel comfortable, just extend your hand as we pray a blessing over these children. So Father God, we thank you for each and every child up here. We thank you for the laughter that they bring, for the joy that they have. We thank you for their curiosity and asking the tough questions and, and in seeking answers. God, I pray that you would bless them with a persevering faith, with a childlike faith that, like them, would grow bigger. God, with a faith that's able to believe in what they cannot see and a faith that's able to follow even when others don't. Father, I just pray that you would bless these children with a persevering faith and with continued revelations of yourself. So Jesus, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for coming, kids. Go ahead. Back to your seats. Find your adults. Good luck out there. I hope you got fruit snacks. Good job, guys. Okay. So Prince Caspian, we're going over. And now I guess you can have your fruit snacks. Sorry if that basket was almost to you and I made it stop. But as Brian explained last week, we're doing a series on Narnia, not because anything C.S. Lewis writes is canon or because we ran out of things to talk about, but because these stories serve as an allegory. They serve as a means of teaching something that we might have already learned, but in a more imaginative way. Much in the same way we saw Jesus teaching in these fictional short stories called parables, teaching the same thing in a more imaginative way can often make it stickier in our hearts and minds. 
And so when we look at the story of Prince Caspian, it's not just the story of the Pevensey kids returning to Narnia and fixing everything again. There's actually a lot to learn about faith, about Jesus, about the Bible in this story. And what we learn about the journey the kids are on about faith is that faith at times is really hard. That faith at times is often filled with doubt. And the kids were trying to get from where they were to where they needed to be, and in order to get there, they had to pass through their doubts. And I don't think it's a huge jump to our own lives from Narnia to say that in our spiritual journeys of going from our current faith to our future stronger faith, we too are required to pass through our doubts. And just as the kids experienced a strengthening of faith and character by passing through their doubts, we too can be strengthened through the process of doubt. And so this is our big idea for this morning. Our big idea is that doubt is not opposition, doubt is an opportunity. You see, God's plan for all of our lives is a life of constant growth towards the person of Christ. It's not in his will for any of us to find ourselves stuck or plateaued in our faith, especially because of doubt. So wherever we are, whether we are a seven-year-old little fruit snack munching kid or a 90-year-old fruit snack gobbling adult, wherever we are, it's never part of God's plan for us to find ourselves stuck or plateaued because of doubt. And I don't think that any of us would actually spiritually grow if we didn't address our doubt, if we didn't honestly face our doubt, bring it to the light. Not be ashamed of it, not deny it, but to enter in and process it in healthy ways. And I think it's inevitable. I know we don't like to admit it, but I think doubt at times is inevitable. We know that Proverbs 14, 15 through 16 said, only the simple believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. The wise are cautious and avoid danger. Fools plunge ahead with reckless confidence. See, doubt happens, that's the reality. So we need to learn to process it in healthy ways in order to grow from it. We might like to think that the moment we become a Christian, it's just uphill to heaven, life's gonna be easy, and we'll never question again. But you see, the closer we get to God, the more unbelievable he seems. The more we intend to serve God, the more we will think, I'm not the person for that job. And the more we intend to live out the words of scripture, the more we'll think, I don't really wanna do that. There's tough stuff in here. And the doubts will come, the questions will come, so we need to learn to process them. It was Tim Keller who said, a faith without some doubts is like the human body with no antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask the hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts which should only be discarded after long reflection. So processing our doubts. I think that begins with changing the way we view and approach our doubts. And so the paradigm shift that we're gonna go into today is to view our doubts as an invitation, as an avenue for mercy, and as a challenge. So first one, doubt as an invitation. I think it's an invitation to seek and to see God. Now we're all familiar with the story of Jesus walking on water and then inviting Peter to do the same, to walk on the water with him. And in that moment, Peter had doubt. He knew that what Jesus was doing was impossible. He knew that what Jesus called him to do was impossible. And so he had both faith and doubt in that moment. 
They're not mutually exclusive. But he acted on the faith. He stepped out of the boat onto the water. And even though he doubted in that time, even though he began to sink, in that experience, he saw who Jesus truly was. Jesus' identity was revealed to him in that experience. And Jesus anticipated his doubts. He knew Peter was going to question it. He knew Peter was uncomfortable with it, but he invited him out anyway. He invited him into that place in order to show Peter what that little mustard seed-sized faith could do and in order to grow it. And God often invites us to seek him, to find him. That's really the vibe we get from the Narnia story when Aslan repeatedly appears to the children. He appears to Lucy in these visions and her emotions and even in dreams. And Lewis was trying to capture that aspect of God's character that God just wants to be seen. God just wants to be found. Now, back in high school, I had a really traumatic experience with a game of hide-and-seek. I had found this awesome spot in a shed, kind of a similar size to this wardrobe. I walk in, shut the door behind me, and right after I do that, this kid comes behind me and climbs in as well. He looks at me and says, oh, looks like we had the same idea. And I said, no, it was my idea. You followed me. But that's okay. I didn't really know him very well, and so I wanted to be nice to him, so I let it happen. We're sitting in there, quietly, hiding as we should. Then he asks me a question. Hey, do you mind if I play a song? And as soon as I look over at him, he's already holding a ukulele and strumming along. And I'm shocked and confused at this point, because I've never had anyone try to play a song during a game of hide-and-seek. And so I just say, well, like, we're trying to hide. Can you be quiet? And he didn't get it, so he goes, yeah, yeah. I can play quietly. <laughs> so he starts just like tickling the thing, and it's even worse. And at this point, I don't even care about being found. Like, I just feel awkward and uncomfortable. And then it gets worse. He starts singing, but whisper singing. He goes, hey there, Delilah, what's it like in New York City? And at that point, I'm done. The game's over. I don't want to be there anymore. And I burst out of the shed, and I say, okay, somebody find me, please. I want to be found. I don't want to hide anymore. I'm done playing this game. I want to be found. And in a very similar but very different way, our God wants to be found as well. You see, Romans 1.20 declares that all of creation was made so that we would have a time and a place to see and to find God. One of the repeated themes in the Old Testament prophets is that no matter how many times the Israelites wandered away, how many times they sinned against God, he would still come back to them and repeatedly talk to them. The book of Ezekiel begins with Ezekiel on his 30th birthday, the year he was supposed to become a priest and start serving the Lord, but he's far from the temple, far from where he needs to be to serve God, so he's worried that he's lost his connection with God and that he's estranged from him. But then God reveals himself to him. And the rest of Ezekiel's life is spent in close connection with God. And at the end of the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel declares, Jehovah Shema, which means the Lord is there. Our God is a God who is there. And in our times of doubt, we can be encouraged to know that the God who is there invites us Jehovah to Shema seek him. Fact check, thanks. <laughs> and the beautiful thing about this topic for me is that my own personal experience with doubt took place in this, in this very church. So I have a list of all the people who've caused that doubt. I'm kidding, I won't share that, it's not real, don't worry. <laughs> but I was encouraged because I grew up in a place where I was invited to ask those questions. I was invited to seek God in my doubt. I was invited 
to see who he was. And my season of doubt was mainly intellectual. I had these questions that I just felt were unanswered. I knew what I had been told. I knew what had been shared with me. But I still had unanswered questions. And so I sought God's face in prayer. I sought God's face in scripture. I even read some of C.S. Lewis's nonfiction. And I liked it better than the fiction, but that's okay. (laughs) But that was the childlike faith that we read about. The childlike faith that's curious and that seeks answers, that's not just ignorant and goes with whatever it's told, but the childlike faith that seeks. And God has invited us to seek him in our doubts. God has invited us to look for him. And in the clip we just watched, you know, Lucy asked her brother when he didn't see him, didn't see Aslan, like, well, were you looking? She said it in a really condescending way, but it's a good question. Are we looking? And sometimes when the doubts come our way, I think we have to ask ourselves that question, as are we looking? So if we've struggled with doubt in this sense, maybe out of lack of trust for those we've learned from, or maybe it's an intellectual question we have, I think the way that we grow this week is through seeking answers. It's through looking for God. Maybe we read a book like C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, we grab one of the church's Bible studies, whatever it is, seek God in your doubt. Now for some of us, this might be the first time we ever actually start seeking answers. Um, But for a lot of us in this room, we've been doing this for years. We've been reading the Bible, we've been studying, we've been plugging into community, and the doubts still come. The good news for us is that our God is compassionate and merciful, and that doubt is an avenue for God's mercy. Now in the book of Jude, Jude writes to a church who are under attack from false teachers, where many people are losing faith and they're falling for bad ideas. And in light of these struggles, he invites the church, in verse 22, to be merciful to those who doubt. He wrote this knowing full well Jesus' words in Luke 6.36, where he said that we should be merciful because God is merciful. See, when we face doubt in our lives, God moves towards us in compassion and mercy. He's not surprised by us. He's not offended by us. He's big enough to handle our questions and big enough to handle our doubt. Earlier in the book of Jude, Jude blasted the false teachers because they were leading the church into bad ideas. He called them out and he didn't hold back. But for those who had fallen for the false teaching, he showed nothing but mercy. He didn't accuse them. He didn't belittle them. He didn't try to correct them. He just told them, God comes towards you in mercy. And he told the rest of the church to do the same, to move towards those who doubt in mercy. You see, the word that Jude used here in the Greek for doubt is diakrino, which literally means to go back and forth in discerning, to hesitate, to waver, even to wobble. He's talking about people who are wobbling in their faith, people who don't really know who to listen to, and so they're going back and forth. And in much of the same way that Peter wobbled on the water as he started to sink, in that scenario when Peter started to sink, Jesus did question him and asked, you know, you have little faith, why did you doubt? But it wasn't until he had reached out his hand to help. Because while Peter was wobbling on the water, he didn't need a question about why he was doubting, he needed a hand. And in much of the same way, when those of us are wobbling, Jesus extends his hand. Now, I love doctrine, I love theology, I love answering the hard questions about scripture. You know, I went to the most prestigious of all colleges, the REACH Training Institute. 
I got the master's degree, got the rev title in front of my name, and so I love doctrine, and I value that highly. But at times when my friends and family are facing seasons of doubt, they don't need a theology lesson. They don't need Pastor Evan to send them two scholarly articles and a book about why they're wobbling. They need mercy. They need a hand to steady them, to pull them close. Sometimes when we face doubt, that's all we need. It's that whole concept of grace and truth. We're very familiar with that concept, grace and truth. The truth is important, but not without the grace, not without the mercy. It's kind of like Lucy's arrogant tone that she said that question to her brother Peter with. She goes, well, maybe you weren't looking. What did Peter do when she came at him with that tone? He walked away, right? Because people are much more likely to listen to a merciful, compassion tone than an arrogant, condemning one. They're looking for the hand. And I think Lewis captured this well in the story. When the kids finally get to the point where they see Aslan, each of them have their own experience with Aslan where he extends mercy to them. When Peter came up and repented of his doubt for leading them astray, as Peter drops to his knees to beg for forgiveness, Aslan looks at him and says, my dear son. Then he looks at the little traitor Edmund and he just tells him, well done. When Susan comes forward, Aslan calls her by name, but she's too busy crying to hear him. So he says again, Susan, you have listened to fear's child. Come, let me breathe on you and forget them. Then he breathes on her and he asks, are you brave again? A little, she responded. When the kids came to Aslan and confessed their doubt, he was all grace, no growl. He extended mercy. Because doubt is an avenue for God's mercy. And church, if you're experiencing a season of doubt that can't be met on this intellectual level, then for you to grow through doubt might be just to receive God's mercy. Might be just to embrace his breath as he breathes his Holy Spirit on you and to receive a strengthening from him. And finally, our doubts are a challenge. Our doubts are a challenge. In that same dialogue between Aslan and Lucy, where Lucy had repented for her doubt and Aslan extends mercy to her, Lucy expressed a misconception regarding doubt and regarding her role in this adventure. She tells Aslan how hard this journey's been, how they keep getting lost, she can't seem to follow him because he keeps disappearing, and they keep running into opposition. She tells him, I thought you'd come roaring in and frighten all the enemies away like last time, but now everything is going to be horrid. Aslan responds by telling her that this time it's just going to be hard. And Lewis, eh, he accurately depicted a sense of God's character that God is not always just going to come roaring in and make all of her doubts away. They're not always just going to go away, but we have to learn to live with a bit of doubt. And maybe like Lucy, in the clip that we watched, you know, you know what you've experienced, you know what you've been taught, you know that you've seen God, you've experienced him, but as soon as you share that with others, they make you feel like a weirdo. They run away like you're trying to play a song in the ukulele for them. <laughs> but honestly, those times hurt. And the fact is, those times will always be hard. So, doubt sometimes is a challenge. Sometimes it's opposition. But as we've seen, it's not an opposition we can't face. It's not a challenge we can't overcome, but it's an opportunity to grow. I wish I had just a more encouraging thing to finish on. 
a nice platitude that would make you think, well, great, following Jesus is easy, let's go do it. But honestly, I would rather teach the hard truth of scripture than just go there. Because doubt is a challenge, it's hard. But just like in the story, when something is hard, Prince Caspian called for help. And that's what we can do in this situation. When something is hard, we can call for help. We can lean on our community. We can lean into our church and rally those around us. When God isn't sending it all away, we can lean into our church family, maybe call up someone for dinner this week if that's how you grow through doubt. Maybe contact your community group who you haven't seen all summer. Maybe you join a community group for the first time. When doubt is a challenge and God's not roaring and sending it all away, rally those around you whose faith can strengthen you, who can reach out a hand and steady you as you wobble. Now, if you read Prince Caspian, the book, on the first page here, you'll find this short little dedication. It's only four words, and it says, to Mary Claire Havard. Now, Mary Claire Havard was the daughter of C.S. Lewis's doctor, Dr. Havard, and he was a fellow member of C.S. Lewis's literary club, The Inklings. And when C.S. Lewis had written The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he was already an accomplished scholar and author, but he had never written children's stories before. So when he showed The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to his literary club, they tore him apart for it. They hated it. His best friend and the author of The Lord of the Rings, J.R.R. Tolkien, upon reading the book, told his friend C.S. Lewis, this book is almost worthless. It's a jumbled up mix of unrelated mythologies and you should never have put this mess together. He said he felt physical pain reading it and he told Lewis not to publish it but put it away on a shelf and never tell anyone about it because it will destroy his career. <laughs> and Lewis trusted Tolkien, so he actually shelved Narnia for some time, didn't publish it. But Dr. Havard had read the story to his eight-year-old daughter. And guess what? She loved it. She loved it so much, she wrote an enthusiastic letter to C.S. Lewis. And Lewis was so inspired by her letter that he didn't care what some cranky professors thought, but he published anyway. And that's the kind of faith that can strengthen us in our doubt. When the doubt comes and it's a challenge, when the doubt came to C.S. Lewis, Mary Claire didn't get hung up on the fact that Santa was randomly in the story or that the beavers somehow had potatoes even though it was always winter. Her ability to believe and her ability to have faith strengthened Lewis and he didn't get hung up on those things. He didn't get held back. Imagine all that the world would have missed out on if he had. And in much of the same way, if our doubts are holding us back, let us be reminded of all that God has for us. And don't allow doubt to hold you back that all God has for you. But remember to view doubt not as simply opposition, but as an opportunity. And when the doubt comes, seek it as an, as an invitation to see God, as an avenue for his mercy, and as a challenge that we can face in community. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for being a God who can handle our doubts. We thank you for being bigger than our questions. We thank you for being a God who reveals himself to us, who who speaks to us. God, thank you for extending your hand of mercy to us. Help us to see your outstretched hand and 
Empower us to stretch out the hand to our family and friends. Empower us to be someone who is stable for those around us who are wobbling. And God, as we face this challenge, gather those around us who can strengthen us. God, we thank you for those who are around us, who have strengthened us in our times of doubt. So Jesus, we love you. We seek you in this time. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. If you'd like more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.